Nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum diarbus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Deo, pro nobis peccatoribus nunc, et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, love day to Jesus Christus. In secula. We're here today at Farmer's Hours once again, the Terror of Demons morning show, where we talk about reclaiming traditional Catholic masculinity, I'm joined, as always, by co-host Kennedy Hall. Kennedy, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm wonderful. Excellent. How was your Canadian Thanksgiving? It was good. I spent some time with a friend of mine, Cam, and his wife, Kate, and their kids. And and uh, it's a gray area here. We were told by our premier, you know, don't go to Thanksgiving. But it wasn't a law. It was just, we really don't want you to. So uh, we just went to Thanksgiving anyway. So but, you, you constructed plexiglass barriers between each other. Yes, we actually had and... garbage bags over our heads. We put, gar- <laughs> we put garbage bags all over all our kids' heads because that's safer than coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, garbage. Yeah, plastic bags over the head, I hear, is pretty good. That's very effective. Mm-hmm. The WHO just came out with something about that. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Okay, good. Thanksgiving. Canadian Thanksgiving. Our, Shout our, out. our harvest season. I mean, you know what? We have the same weather as you, but... but uh, our harvest season overall is obviously a little earlier than your guys because uh, of the weather in the States. So ours is about a month and month and a bit earlier. I don't even know when they started it, but yeah, it's been like that for a long time. Yeah. Shout out to all our Canadian brethren. Happy Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for. Yep. Even, even in these times, very important to keep that in mind. Well, welcome to the 19th week after Pentecost. We uh, have yesterday Columbus day. Yeah, uh, the our and Our Lady of the Pillar. They actually coincide this year, which was the co- the coinciding of the actual site of land. Yeah. So Our Lady of Our Lady of the Pillar was a bilocation of Our Lady to Saint James the Apostle in Spain mm-hmm. in around the year forty A.D., which is where Saint James was discouraged about the Spaniards; they weren't converting, and Our Lady bilocated and told him to keep on preaching the faith because Spain would once one day spread the faith throughout the world. Yeah. So then later in 1492, another man was discouraged, Christopher Columbus, after sailing since August 2nd, not sighting land by October. He promised his men that he would turn back if they didn't find land Mm -hmm. on Our Lady of the Pillar, October 12th. So he he saw land. Yeah. Saw land on October 12th, Our Lady of the Pillar. And the rest is history. Any any uh, words you want to add about Christopher Columbus? Well, I read um, not all of his diaries, but I read a bunch of his diaries in university in Spanish, like as part of my degree. And uh, he was awesome. I remember even then, um, my, my my education was interesting because I had a couple of profs who were just really honest. So we actually read. He was um, he was from Peru. He was a really good teacher, and. Um, we read Columbus's stuff and this guy, he was not anti, he wasn't like a leftist. He just was an honest kind of centrist teacher. And um, so we read Columbus's diaries in the Spanish and we all had a pretty favorable view of him. And it was kind of refreshing. Actually, I came out of that degree reading about Columbus and Cortez and actually thinking they were good, which is unheard of in today's universities. (laughs) And, um, and once again, it wasn't, he just gave it to us and said, read it. And Columbus was, he was great. He was, uh, there was a cause for his canonization. It didn't go through, but if there's a, I mean, that's a pretty good character reference if they're thinking about canonizing you. Even, you know, and this is 200 years ago, I think it was in the 1800s or something. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like today where everybody who dies with a rosary in hand becomes a saint. That's not supposed to be some sort of dig at some of our saints, but it was a much more rigid process back then. So the fact that he even got to venerable, I think, I don't know if he did or not, but it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know Leo the Thirteenth has a, an encyclical on Columbus yeah. um, that you can read. Um, but elsewhere, we also have so today is Fatima Day. Today is the uh, anniversary of the miracle of the sun. Today's yeah. show is going to focus on that. This is the show to share with all of your non-Catholic friends and family. We're going to go through yeah. all of the apologetics of this thing that happened in 1917. It's not. It's pretty recent history so should be pretty easy to prove it wrong so that's what i'm going to try to do in a few minutes but other than that we also have saint Teresa of jesus october 15 a great saint one of the great mystics of the of spain once again that had uh, gave to the church during the 
Reformation era. We also have St. Mary, Margaret Mary Alacoque in, on the 17th, this Saturday. Sacred Heart. Yep. Yep. So she received the, the vision of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and uh, helped spread that devotion. She died in 1690. So um, the miracle of the sun. So, Kennedy, can you give us an introduction for someone who's never heard of what is Fatima? It's funny because I never heard of Fatima until I, I, when I was when I was investigating I was in Eastern Orthodox and I was investigating Catholicism I never even heard of Fatima until after I came into communion with Rome it was much later oh, um, really? yeah it was actually not a part of my conversion initially so um, can you tell us who somebody who's never heard of Fatima what is Fatima why is this a big deal why do Catholics make a big deal out of this well it's one of the major apparitions which is important um, I'm, I'm assuming everybody watching this knows what an apparition is, but you know what? Before I was a practicing Catholic, I didn't know what a Marian apparition was. <clears throat> so I went to Mexico to visit Our Lady of Guadalupe, not knowing what Guadalupe was. I was just told, let's go to a mission in Mexico. And I said, okay. Um, so Our Lady appeared six times in the, well, sorry, six times she appeared as part of the Fatima apparition. So Fatima is a place in Portugal. It's kind of central, centerish of Portugal. And um, interestingly, Fatima was the name of Muhammad's favorite daughter, I believe. Um, and there's a lot of significance to the fact that Our Lady appeared there at Fatima. And there's a whole backstory to that. But so uh, Our Lady of Fatima is, a, is an apparition from Our Lady at Fatima. And she appeared to three shepherd children, Jacinta, Lucia, or Sister Lucy, because she became a, a nun later on, and Francisco Marto. Jacinta and Francisco were brother and sister, and Lucia was their cousins. And uh, they were about seven, eight, and then 10, something like that. And they were little shepherd children. They were just out there praying the rosary uh, with their sheep one day in the COVID era, which is like a little area where the sheep would go. Um, and they, Our Lady appeared to them uh, six times. Um, first time was probably to them. And then after that, it became a little bit more public each time because people were hearing about it. And actually, for everybody who's never read about it, I recommend go to Fatima.org. And there is link, there's links for resources and things. And one of them is just called the true story of Fatima. It's only a hundred pages. Um, and it's epic. It's wonderful. I mean, as far as, um, uh, just explaining what happened, uh, it's probably second to none. And, <clears throat> um, but before our lady came, there were actually three apparitions of the angel. So that was actually really important. So the angel of Fatima came in 1916 and it's funny, even before that, uh, in 1915, you have stories from the children talking about seeing angelic something, but never interacting with it. And then 1916, the angel comes. And when the angel comes, he uh, tells, he says that I'm an angel of peace. I'm the guardian of Portugal. Um, many commentators actually think that it's St. Michael um, because St. Michael is assigned to certain big jobs. I don't know if that's uh, like an established thing you have to believe or not, but that's what they say. And uh, the, the first time the angel came, he talked about intercession. The second time he talked about reparation. And the third time he spoke about devotion to the Holy Eucharist. So actually on the third visit from the angel in 1916, um, the angel, uh, Lucia had received her first communion because Lucia's mother was actually literate, which was rare for the village people, uh, for the women. And so she was the catechist, uh, so the catechist for the area because she could read and stuff. So Lucia had been catechized at a young age and actually had her first communion when she was six, even though the custom was ten. So anyway, they received first com or they received communion. Um, uh, uh, Lucia did, and when um, the angel was presenting the communion, he actually said, um, "This is what he said. It's pretty interesting. It says, take and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ.'" Horribly insulted by ungrateful men, make reparation for their crimes, console your God. So, um, and when he was holding up the host over the chalice, it says that there was actually drips of blood coming out of the host. And uh, then, yeah, so they did that. So he taught them certain prayers as well. And then in 1917, Our Lady appeared and six apparitions uh, gave the various secrets, as they're so called. Um, the reason is because. Uh, so to the to the seers, 
And in the, in the first case, actually, it was only Lucia who could actually um, hear Our Lady, okay? And, or I think Jacinta might have been able to, but Francisco couldn't. But um, they're called secrets because the children at Fatima explicitly were able to see and hear what Our Lady was saying. And those who were visiting and crowding around them at times couldn't hear. So what was said from Our Lady had to be written down. So we call them secrets because it was, you know, it was something that only the, the children knew. That being said, though, when the people were there in the crowds, um, when it came time for the second apparition, when Our Lady appeared, the people who were around them, they couldn't see Our Lady, but they could, they said it was like there was some sort of uh, iridescent sort of cloud and that they could hear a certain kind of buzzing, um, like some sort of musical buzzing when Jacinta and Lucia and Francisco were actually listening to Our Lady. It's very interesting. Um, and they could see things after, like, you know, the tree that she was standing on. It had bent and that sort of thing. Um, and they could hear sounds like, um, you know, it sounded like a jet or something when Our Lady was, like, uh, you know, leaving and going back to heaven. Um, so there's lots there. Anyway, so then um continues and then there's the uh there's three apparitions on let, the third. let me let me let me back up yeah. a little bit because the the apparition starts in uh what month is it june oh may or may okay so yeah. it goes back to may so may 13 yeah. right may 13 may 13 is when the this first apparition mm -hmm. when the when so at first it's just virgin mary and the three children mm-hmm but then the, the very sheep. next, you're saying the, <laughs> the sheep. So the very next time in June, mm -hmm. you've got the crowd of people already? Yeah, and that's actually on the traditional feast day of St. Anthony um, when it was uh, that, that year, however the calendar worked out. And so that's a huge festival in Portugal. Um, so their village, so it was a whole thing. So when the children actually told, well, okay, they weren't supposed to tell. Okay, but they're little children, so they tell everything. So Lucia says, don't tell. So Jacinta and Francisco go home, um, whatever. They end up telling, and it was caused a huge ordeal for the kids because um, the father, I can't remember whose father it was. I don't think it was Francisco and Jacinta's father. I think it was Lucia's father, quietly believed. And there's lots of testimonies from the parents. Like there's major, major biographies and things that people can read. There's tons of volumes. And the children, obviously the parents had something to say, right? And they came from big families, seven, eight siblings. And um, so they went through major turmoil because, I mean, basically these children are going, hey, we saw Our Lady. And the initial reaction is, don't be a liar. Um, you know, why would Our Lady appear to you? Classic. I mean, this is honestly, uh, if you look at the history of apparitions, this is like classic apparition um, MO. You know, obviously you say, hey, I just saw the mother of God. And it's like, sure you did, buddy. That's great. That's a good little story there. And um there's they, always there's always people seeing the mother of God all over the place. Yes, well, because some of them are fake, right? There's some fake apparitions in the world, and um, and some are preternatural. So that's an interesting thing. Just a little backstory on um, how do we discern if these apparitions are true or not? So I can't cite chapter and verse on this, but from the priests that I've spoken to that I trust on this issue, um, they say that when a bishop uh, declares the supernatural or preternatural nature of an apparition, that he can't err. Um, so it's funny, even some bishops in history who are not, you know, a canonized saint type bishop, they'll have, they'll have under their care, um, they'll have under their responsibility actually declaring on some sort of apparition and they get it right anyway. Um, it's interesting. And it's kind of like the papacy, you know, the weirdness we've had, but then there's the odd document that comes on. You're like, how did you write that? <laughs> how did you, you know? So yeah. Yeah. So, and that, yeah. Just, just so just for the viewers, the, the so there are hundreds of Marian apparitions yes. across the world all the time, mm -hmm. and one factor is that if you have an Marian apparition and you create a pilgrimage site, you yeah. get a bunch of money. Yes. So hey, it's it's a little uh, you know it's a little money maker. So can be. Yeah. We understand that there is there are these factors, and so we're going to get into well, how do we figure out? Is this even real? Is this a big hoax? Um, but Kennedy, can you give us also the political context, which is important oh, yeah. for the story? What is the political context? We're in Portugal. It's in the middle of World War One. Mm -hmm. Here we are in this country, Portugal. What's happening politically? Yeah. So, so actually, it's interesting. So Fatima 
we'll go into the political context, but you know, you'll try and give me reasons why we should be, you know, skeptical and things. But when I'm reading through Fed, I was just reading through some literature again last night. It's the most airtight of all apparitions because the political context of the country and the surrounding circumstance of the kids, it was like, you know, they're, they're, how should I put this? Their testimony and their their journey through trying to prove Fatima and what they went through it was like a living, breathing devil's advocate. It was like every objection possible was thrown at them. So in the political context, the mayor of their town was actually a Freemason. So it's funny, like for us today, Freemasonry is sort of this, abs- I mean, it legitimately Freemasonry is dying in an actual technical sense um, because they've contracepted themselves out of existence, like most people. Um, but nonetheless, we know that the, the errors are spread and you can be a Freemason without even joining the clan because you think the same thing. But so, um, but then, you know, Freemasonry was actually like a vibrant growing thing. And, uh, there were many committed Freemasons, you know, so much that there had to be encyclicals against it and so forth. And <clears throat> the mayor of the town was actually a Freemason. Okay. And, um, the newspapers and things, it was very similar to the political context of, Mexico in uh, ni- early 1920s, where you have the Cristeros War and things. So just real interesting, though, Portugal avoided so much of what Spain and Mexico and other places went through, even though they were on the exact same trajectory. And all of that stuff, so they were, they were on the same trajectory of, uh, you know, total uh, libertine, liberal revolution, friend, uh, you know, Freemason persecution. They were like, they were on their way to that. It should have happened. But after Our Lady appeared, the bishops actually consecrated the country, Portugal, to the Immaculate Heart, and they avoided that. It had a major resurgence in faith. And one of the promises of Fatima, I believe it's in the third secret, is that the dogma, that in Portugal, the dogma will be preserved. It doesn't mean Portugal is going to remain a super pious nation forever, but um, in the context of a world in apostasy, that there will at least be a remnant of that in Portugal where it will not be, uh, it'll be preserved. So, yeah. Okay, so the, the the country at the time, 1917, in the spring of 1917 in Portugal, the mm-hmm. Freemasons, the secularists, the atheists, the skeptics have mm-hmm. taken over the government. Mm-hmm. So the mayor of the town is some kind of secularist, atheist, Mason, whatever. Yep. The government in Lisbon is atheist, whatever. They're communists or they're just trying to secularize everything mm-hmm. and beat back all the superstition yes. of the uh, <laughs> olden days. They want to come into a brave new world. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's a there's a strong push for secularism from the government and mm-hmm. from strong forces in the country. Mm-hmm. And then you have May 13 arrives. The shepherd children start saying start saying that they saw the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. The very next month, June 13, 1917, there's already a big crowd of people that have... It's about 50 um, people this time, about 50. Okay. Yeah. There's a a small crowd of people that have come, but at some point, the government authorities catch wind of what's going on. Yes. Yep. Um, So by the time the third apparition comes around, and if you're looking into the text, once again, go to Fatima.org. I'm not just saying that because I work there, but it really is... Uh, there's a lot of Fatima organizations out there, but if you ask anybody, <clears throat> like which books, uh, modern, like after like last 30 years, kind of books, they're all reading books from the Fatima Center because it's they've just been on the the forerunners and that. But um, the third apparition, there were about two to three thousand people that came. Uh, you know, so Portugal. I grew up around a lot of Portuguese people. It's a very faithful country historically. Um, it's just a great. Catholic nation historically. I mean, it's kind of like we think about Poland and things. Portugal's like that as well, but probably even more so, uh, to be honest, generally speaking. So um, people were already coming, you know, hoping for miracles and things. And even at the second apparition, there was a woman who had, you know, a 17-year-old crippled son and things like that. And you know, these people, like they, they understood relics and they're very Catholic in, in their in their history, right? So they're coming and then they see this bush that our lady was standing on, a little tiny oak tree. They have like these three foot tall sort of home oak trees they're called and you know like the branches are bent and so they're going over the tree and like taking branches from the tree and like touching them to their sick people and things like that and um so actually at the second apparition um lucia asked our lady basically like uh, if i'm not mistaken that um there was a crippled 
young man who wanted to be healed. And she says, as long as he has a conversion within a year, he'll be healed. Like, so there's already miracles and things like that happening at the beginning. So third apparition was about 3,000 people. Um, at this, um, this is where we have the vision of hell. So if anybody ever uh, is wondering whether or not they should commit a mortal sin, just go read the vision of hell from Fatima and you'll probably say no to that. Um, it's really intense, really intense. And I actually think that it gives us an evangelization tip because Our Lady doesn't lead with hell, you know, but she doesn't lead with sunshine and roses either. The, you know, the, the angel appears and it's about reparation and sacrilege and, uh, our Lady appears and talks about, you know, poor sinners need to be pray prayed for. And then after a couple of interactions, she gets right into the nitty gritty and talks about the reality of hell. And uh, that was to small children. So for, you know, certain bishops out there and things are afraid to talk about hell. Well, it's good enough for Our Lady. It's good enough for me. Um, so third apparition happens, big crowds. Okay. And then fourth apparition happens, August 19th. Uh not Ju July 13th, because Our Lady had said, come back every month on the 13th. Why did it happen August 19th? Well, the mayor of the town was so ticked off at the you know this cult growing around the Blessed Virgin, this resurgence of piety and things, because, you know, it's hard. Portugal is a Catholic culture, okay? So in places that are Catholic cultures, Italy, Spain, Portugal, etc., people fall away from the faith but they're still Catholic in like their way they see the world and they don't disbelieve in, in things like miracles and stuff. So when stuff starts to happen, they wake up and then they have a resurgence of their faith. You see this time and time again. So you can imagine around this, you're seeing, you know, your average dad or something who's kind of neglected his religious duties. He hears about this thing. It's pretty airtight. And he's like, Whoa. And you got people praying the rosary again and, you know, having this big Renaissance revival as our Protestant friends would say. And, um, so this is happening. So he doesn't want this to happen. Um, and Freemasons, you know, one of the test, one of the testimonies, one of the reasons why I think the Fatima is so airtight is because all the right people hate it. Um, the modernists hate Fatima. You know, the people that want Vatican II to be the super council hate Fatima. The people, the Freemasons hate Fatima. The uh, scientists, evolutionist types hate Fatima. The only people who love Fatima are devout Catholics. <laughs> Everyone else hates it. So that's like, okay, you know, your enemies prove the validity of who you are. And, um, it was at the third apparition, too. We heard about the consecration of Russia. All right. Well, that was a big deal. Um, the children didn't even know what Russia was. They they couldn't read yet. Um, they weren't privy to... Uh, they thought Russia was a woman. You know, so Our Lady said, you know, like, consecrate Russia. And they go tell their parents. They're like, who's Russia? You know, like, Russia would sound like a nice name of a lady or something. And uh, they had no idea. And then um, fourth apparition happens 19th. Why? Because the children were detained. Um, they didn't, you know, basically they were put in jail. Um, imagine that little children, and they were threatened with like crazy stuff, you know, being tortured and whatever. And they didn't relent. I mean, these little kids just, I mean, it, they just didn't relent and they were finally let go. And then, so when they went back six days after our lady appeared on the 19th, you know, and, um, then it continued all the way through October and October, we finally find ourselves at the, um, miracle of the sun. And by that time there was about 70,000 people. Okay. So. Was the miracle of the sun announced beforehand? Did I mean did they start telling people there was gonna be some kind of miracle? Our lady said that in October she would reveal something. Yeah. Okay. So didn't people say, were didn't flocking. Say the sun, but okay. Yeah. So people were flocking. Now, how many of this seventy thousand were the skeptics? There were a bunch of skeptics there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know out of the crowd how many were skeptical, like percentage wise, but there were noted that there were a bunch of skeptics there. And one of the newspapers, the major newspaper paper that was there, which was called O Secolo. And um, the editor-in-chief, he was liberal, anti-clerical. It was Freemasonic and it's running and everything. And basically the newspaper was there to show that these people were a bunch of morons and that they were you know, under some delusion, so on and so forth. And then after the miracle of the sun happened, and a little background for people that don't know what had happened, um, basically it was a rainy fall day, middle of October, and about 70 people showed up to this mat, this big field, very muddy. I mean, you can imagine, um, it's, it's, not, it's not like a lawn. Okay. It's not like, uh, um, it's not like grass on your front lawn where it's meant for walking. This is just pastures and things. It's very sloppy and, um, people were soaking wet anyway. 
just they were watching the children because every time these apparitions would happen, the children would they would pray the rosary, okay? Because Our Lady said pray the rosary every day, so they would pray the rosary, and then and, you know Lucia would be like, okay, wait, it's coming, and then things would start happening, okay? So they were watching the children. So these seventy thousand people were there. Seventy thousand—that's crazy. I mean, that's that's an NFL football stadium, a uh, little bigger. I mean, that's some college stadiums. I think Michigan. I think the Wolverines, with all the crammed students, you can hold like 110,000 or something. So it's a pretty big crowd. And um, and Portugal is a small country. So that was a people coming from all over. That was a significant amount of the actual people in Portugal when you think about it. So um, this what happened was that this miracle, and they didn't know exactly what it was going to be, Okay, the sun began to dance in the sky, they say, uh, it almost looked like a disc moving about, and it came towards them, like they thought that the sun was basically like, you know, gonna smash the earth or something like that. Like it was really, really nuts. This, this, the color of the sky changed uh, color. And people thought they were going to die. And so you, when you read the newspaper articles and the testimonies of people that were there, there were, there were people interviewed. There were even people hundreds of you know, kilometers away and things like that that could see something happening there who talked about it. They had no idea. And <clears throat> people were starting to appeal to mercy and ask for forgiveness. They all thought like the apocalypse was coming. So after this happened, it was a few minutes. And one of the things that's remarkable is that, uh, and they have pictures of this. You can look it up. The people went from being soaking wet to completely dried. Like their clothes, it was like they had gone through a dryer. And the ground had even dried up. Just things that were, you know, impossible. So it was so um, remarkable that even this liberal, skeptic, atheist, Freemason newspaper published that uh, the sun made unusual movements. It defied all the cosmic laws. The sun danced and so on and so forth. And the journalist who stuck to that actually himself caught a lot of heat, um, you know, but for all his flaws, I mean, we've all been there being a skeptic. And um, he just said, I saw what I saw. I can't say I didn't see it. And it was a legitimate, you know, miraculous event. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me, I was just trying to get the, here we go. So here's a photograph of this event. There's many photographs of it, <clears throat> but here's one. Yep. So, yeah, it certainly looks like they're dry. They're well, and, look, and they're looking at this. Like, they're all looking to the same place. Um, right. Something's happening. Yeah, yeah. You, we can't really deny that something's happening. Okay. So, first of all, uh, objection one. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the world is governed by natural laws. Everyone knows this. There's no such thing as miracles. There's, there has to be a natural explanation for this because... There's natural laws. There are no miracles. Okay. That's the objection? <laughs> yes. It's a pretty weak objection. So, um, okay. Well, it's it, this is just basic. Uh, Everybody knows that there's no miracles. Okay. They do. Good. So, this is basic uh, apologetics 101 here. So, uh, it's like this. You have a car or you have a computer or something, right? And they work on fixed laws the way that they work. But the problem is, is that we live in a created world. We live in a created universe. So, we come into existence through a miracle. And what does that mean? A miracle doesn't mean something like the word miracle. Okay. We use that colloquially. Okay. That happened. Well, that was a miracle. It really just something very unlikely. Okay. But when we say miracle in, in theological terms, we actually mean something that could not happen without divine intervention. So this, you know, so often there'll be a miracle attributed to a saint, you know, after intercession from heaven and, and it'll be things like, um, actually we know somebody, um, I met a woman the other day, actually, in when we did a reparation for our nation event, carrying the miraculous statue of Our Lady around, Lady Fatima in Toronto. And um, she was given like three months to live 30 years ago. And she's a super devout, I think she's Portuguese, actually, super devout old lady, loves a rosary, hands out green scapulars, brown scapulars to everybody who will take them like just every day. And um, she was given three or four months to live, and it's 30 years later. And the doctors are dumbfounded because her like cancer and stuff just went away. Anyway, those so miraculous things are not just uh, unlikely things, but things where you go, that's actually impossible. You know, Eucharistic miracles. There is no way. Uh, you know, one thing that's crazy in um, Eucharistic miracles is that it will have no. Uh, when they check the, the the biological evidence, like in the DNA, they'll be like, "There's no physical 
representation here of the DNA from your father. It's only from your mother, which is impossible unless you're miraculously conceived in the virgin's womb and only have female, you know, you were in, you were made flesh inside of your mother. But anyway, so with the uh, miracle of the sun, um, you know, we're governed by fixed laws, sort of. Okay, God is in charge and makes the whole thing, just like a guy who makes a computer, etc. But the person who can, the person who created things, can come in and do whatever he wants with it. That's just, I mean, that's just how it works. I mean, you have a car; it works in a certain way until. You want to soup your car up and a can it goes in and makes things work different. And then from there, it's different. Um, that's the way that the universe works. So as far as this, yeah, the sun, we, we see it where it is every day. Um, but the sun isn't in control of itself because it's not the creator. And that's pretty much just, that's the basic understanding of how miracles work. Okay, well, we're going to be Thomistic and we're going to investigate every objection because even if even if we're our believers in miracles, we do want to be skeptical. A healthy skepticism is good mm -hmm. when we want to prove whether something is right or wrong. We want to think of the best objections to something. So first of all, we've got the rain. Now, mm -hmm. here's the rain. Yeah, here's the here's the miracle or here's the um uh, photograph of the rain. Um, and then if we go to the other photos, mm -hmm. um, here's somebody taking off their umbrella mm -hmm. and, uh, the ground looks dry. Okay. Um, now <clears throat> if this was a miracle yeah. and the sun really moved around, why didn't the whole world see it? Well, many people did that weren't there as well. Um, and then, to be honest, uh, well, many people did. So I don't have the testimonies right here, but we can look them up if you want. But um, um, also, not everyone in the world is at the same vantage point. You know, like some places it's actually dark because you don't see the sun, you know, so that, that gets rid of half the world if you think about time zones and things. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, uh, God's in charge. And people that were there saw it. People that were around saw it. Why certain people see a phenomenon and certain others don't, that's going to have a lot to do with circumstance. Um, but 70,000 people attesting to something, skeptical, secular, so-and-so is attesting to something. And people you know, from miles and miles away saying, I saw something going on there as well. That, uh, that seems pretty, pretty airtight to me. I mean, you know. What did the skeptics say? There was people saying that it might have been some sort of solar event. Um, you know, it's like a lot of these things, um, for example, in the old, in the new Testament, you know, they'll try to say there was no miraculous star Thomas Aquinas, you know, with, with Christ's nativity, um, Thomas Aquinas, I think he says it might've been an angel. That's one of the interpretations. Um, uh, but nonetheless, you know, people that are, uh, this is the funny thing about skeptics who kind of have to admit that historically something took place that corresponds with the Bible <laughs> or, or miracle or something. But they won't, um, they won't allow it to be supernatural. You know, like with the wise men, they're like, oh, this kingdom in the east, we have no reference. You know, so they'll try and like put together history and things or, 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 or the, they'll look at, um, they'll recreate sort of models of how the stars are supposed to move and say, well, that makes sense. They'd see this thing because there's supposed to be this event and it happens every 15,000 years or something. And um, that's the sort of thing that people have done. They've just tried to say, well, technically it's possible this, technically it's possible that, and technically it's possible that. So you take all those things, then this is technically possible as well. And you get into the point where you go, like, it's easier to believe in the miracle than your fanciful 150 trillion odds thing that you're saying must have happened instead. Um, and that's sort of what happened. There's no, there's no one explanation for what happened. To be honest, a lot of scientists or a lot of skeptical scientific, uh, scientific types, they just leave it alone. Um, it's kind of like Eucharistic miracles or exorcisms and things. They just don't want to touch it because it just starts looking pretty supernatural real quick. So not everybody saw it. Some people saw it further away. Do you have the, the skeptic you said, you mentioned something about the newspaper, the skeptical newspaper, what Do they wrote in there. Me? Let me yeah. see here quick. I have the story open on my laptop. You're talking about Osekolo, right? Yes. Okay. I've got it. Okay, so he writes, 
Suddenly there arose an immense clamor, right. and those closest to the crowd heard that of them shout, Miracle, miracle, wonder, wonder. Yeah. Before the amazed eyes of these people, the sun trembled, the sun made unusual and jerky movements that defied all the cosmic laws. The sun danced in the typical expression. Mm. Was it a miracle, as the believers say, or was it a natural phenomenon, as the skeptics say? For now, I do not care. I am only saying what I saw. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's what he said. So uh, the sun doesn't dance, okay? And um, once again, look, I mean, it doesn't dance naturally speaking. Whatever that means, and it's it's interesting that he says as the expression goes, because obviously we're, you know, we're applying language that makes sense. I mean, it moved around in a sort of rhythmic fashion. Um, there is no good explanation that any of these skeptics give for something like that that has happened, and something like that that they know could happen, or any way of explaining it. It's a unique event. It's kind of like the resurrection, you know. Um, there's have you ever seen that movie, The Case for Christ? Um, no, but I read the book back in the day. Yeah. I mean, the movie's actually pretty good. It's one of those, um, Christian movies that you can actually watch and not cringe, uh, cause it's actually good production value and good acting and things. And, um, you know, the story in that movie is the, or the Lee Strobel, he was a Protestant guy, but, um, he basically tries to disprove the resurrection and ends up consulting medical doctors and things. And they just go through all the potential things. Like, uh, the one thing is he tries to, he talks to a psychiatrist to try and prove that they didn't actually see Christ, but everyone had the same hallucination. And the psychiatrist was a skeptic and said, listen, like that's never, we, there's no way that that would happen. We don't have any evidence of anyone having the same delusion, let alone 500 people, let alone 10 people um, in the same way with the same story and so on and so forth. And I should backtrack too. What was interesting um, is the priest is an interesting <clears throat> figure in this, the priest of the, like the parish in, in, in Fatima, okay, in the area where they lived. Because when the parents were not sure what to do, um, the mother of uh, Jacinta was quite skeptical, and so was Lucia. And um, and you know what? Here's the thing. Uh, if the kids are not telling the truth, it's like an insane lie. <laughs> so they were like, you better tell the truth here. And they were pretty harsh on them, which is fine. I mean, that made sure that the information was correct. But the priest said, bring the kids to me and I'll, in, I'll interview them separately. Right. Like, kind of like a detective would. And they all had the same stories every time. Um, and we're talking small children, seven, eight, 10 years old. So, so let's go through the, all the possible explanations. So we already talked about a natural hmm. weather phenomenon, but it appears that not everybody in the whole world saw it, but that, that could possibly be explained by, the difference in the sun because you have a different vantage point in different locations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, based on the photographic evidence, it seems quite clear that everybody saw something. Everybody's looking up into the sky. There's something going on there. Um, so even if, even if we didn't have a different vantage point, mm -hmm. um, couldn't this be, an optical illusion. The sun does many different things. There's sun dogs, which cause there to be three suns. There's rainbows, obviously. There's different refractions of light. Couldn't this have been simply a really interesting thing where the sun had an optical illusion? And, every, and then if that really happened, everybody would have seen that at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if you have a bunch of a big, credulous, superstitious in fanatical crowd, they're all going to believe it's some kind of miracle. I guess it's, I mean, for, well, for one, you mentioned a couple things that we have precedent for. So we've seen tons of rainbows. I've never heard of a sun dog, um, but that sounds like something people have. No one's seen this. This is not like, oh, I've seen this before. Okay. So that's one thing that we have to take into account. Um, yeah. Once again, if uh, they said, oh, we saw a miraculous rainbow, it's like, <laughs> Rainbows happen all the time after rain. So that would be not a miracle. Okay. I mean, it could be, but yeah. Um, this is not one of those things. There were many skeptics there. There were 70,000 people there. There were people with, there was a newspaper there. And if anyone knows anything about Freemasonry, their whole desire is for the Catholic faith to be destroyed. And they hate Jesus and they hate God. Um, they hate Our Lady. Okay. St. Maximilian Col Colby made that quite clear. 
So there's no reason why they would ever attest to something unusual like that happening. There have been no good explanations for why it did happen. Um, and the testimonies of the various people there for different reasons, all walks of life, all match up. Uh, it's impossible for this for 70,000 people. And we're talking impossible like, you know, everyone knows my favorite author is Chesterton. He says, listen, everything's technically possible in the sense where you can't prove a universal negative. Okay. So it's like, well, math, you know, a million monkeys could sit in front of a million typewriters and type one page of Hamlet or something, mathematically speaking, if you give them a million years. It's just, it's, that's stupid, though. That's not real life. Um, so sure, in the in the odds of like uh, infinitesimal odds and, and doing your mathematical probabilities, I guess it's possible that people could have some sort of delusion or something. But in lived reality with human beings, it's never happened in this way. And it can't be proven that it did. And uh, it goes against even what skeptics will say about what actually happens with psychology and hallucinations and that sort of thing. It's not possible that any of that happened. That's Those sorts of objections are more unlikely, uh, infinitely more unlikely, than it just being something that happened the way they said it happened. But what about the, all the other so-called apparitions? There's been other so-called miracles of the sun or visions or whatever and groups of people have gotten together and they've all seen something i mean this this happens from time to time mm -hmm. why, why can't we just say well it's another you know bunch of fanatics got together and saw something once again it happens well this one is unique um i would for one because um it's a large amount of people so you know it's that's why i said earlier like this apparition is the most airtight, you know, I'm a huge fan of Our Lady of Guadalupe, but it was, I mean, it was, it was Juan Diego on his own and then a small group of people. Um, and they never actually saw Our Lady. They just saw the image. So this sort of like the proof of that he was telling the truth was the miraculous things that followed. Um, Lords, St. Bernadette, right? I can't remember if there's other people after that. Um, Our Lady of Good Success, it's a small amount of sisters in uh, Ecuador. Um, you know, anyway, so these things are way less airtight as far as our modern standards of literally photographic evidence, uh, multiple testimonies, newspapers, that sort of thing. So, um, also, uh, we do in the church, we reject a lot of claims because we are, you know, healthily skeptical. We have the devil's advocate. We are, we want things to be proven. So if you just look at what these children went through, I mean, listen, I've got a, my son just turned five, actually. So we have a five-year-old, almost four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. I can tell you something, you know, uh, you just, you just got to raise your voice a little bit and you could get a five-year-old to say almost anything you want. Okay. But somehow these seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old are literally put in jail and told things like they're going to be, you know, boiled alive and just crazy stuff. And they don't recant their story. And there's no discrepancy. Little children don't do that. Okay. And these were little children from good, faithful, old school, honest Catholic families. And their parents and their community was like, you better cut this racket out because this is offensive to God. You know, go to the priest, beg for forgiveness if you're lying. And they're just like, mom, I can't say otherwise. This is what happened. Just that alone is remarkable. Uh, the priest gets involved, like I said, interviews the children separately. Um, the whole world hears about this through the newspapers and things. It's investigated out the wazoo and, uh, the Bishop clearly declares, I think it's about 1930 or so like case closed. This is a miraculous thing. Um, and the church gives that charism to her bishops. And that's why, like I said, bishops who you would never expect come down on the right side of these things. Um, and bishops who you would never expect come down on the, uh, they'll, they'll say, yeah, that wasn't. A miraculous thing and they just get it right um so this is just another example of that but with more secular evidence than any we've ever seen before now wasn't weren't there a lot of contradictions though with like the witnesses <clears throat> didn't they didn't seventy thousand people contradict themselves about what they saw no <laughs> no no i mean there might be differences in their stories like that's what the skeptics say. They say that there's a bunch of contradictions. Um, what do they say? What, what do they say their contradictions are? 
Oh, I, I didn't uh, didn't so, get to, into what they were exactly, but so uh, contradictions are different than contrasts, right? So, like that's why people will say oh, there's contradictions in the Bible. No, there's not. There's different perspectives on the same event, you know. So, like, um, if if you and I are describing the same person, and I say, you know, he was wearing a tie and he had this jacket on, and uh, whatever. The point is, is like you could say, oh, he was dressed in a sort of uh, uh, casual sort of way. And I say he was wearing a tie. It's like, look, they're contradicting. And it's like, no, because in your perspective, there's a way that somebody can be wearing a tie and be still be casual. I'm not saying one way or the other where he's elegantly dressed or casually dressed. I'm just saying what was on his person, right? That's not a contradiction. That's just a contrast. That's just a, that's a difference of perspective of what we're seeing if you then press the people and say, what was he actually wearing? We would come up with the same answer. So as far as the witnesses go, some of them might, they might stress different elements. Okay. But none of them say like, it's not, it's not as if you have, <clears throat> you don't have one witness saying that was a miracle of the sun. And the other one saying nothing strange in the weather happened whatsoever. There's not that. Okay. It's just, they might focus on different aspects uh, because for, many of them, and we're looking at this picture right now, I mean, they're all looking to the exact same place. Um, people don't just stand there and stare at the sun. I mean, it's for one, it's hard to look at the sun. They don't just stand there and thousands of people look at the sun together at the same time. This is not a coordinated event. This is not run by, you know, uh, the, the, the government or something. This is a bunch of people who, for their own reasons, heard about this thing through word of mouth and all made their way thousands and thousands of them and attested to the exact same thing happening. This miracle is as big in a way as like the parting of the Red Sea. Um, and it has much, you know, I trust the scriptures obviously, but this has legitimate modern standard evidence uh, for the story itself. Now, but don't you think thousands of people looking up into the sky? I mean, when you look into the sky, you have a reaction. You start seeing things. That's what happens when you look into the sky. You look at the sun. Your eyes get blurred. That's what happens. I mean, if you got a thousand people looking up into the sun, you get blurry eyes. You see things. Okay, what, 70,000 people? Um, and no, you don't get 70,000 people to look at the same place at the same time. There were no megaphones. There was not like major speakers. There wasn't the big jumbotron saying, everyone look here. There was three, like four foot seven little Portuguese children uh, standing in front of these people in the middle of a pasture and all this, and everyone there did the exact same thing with no training or no um, cues whatsoever. That does not happen. That just doesn't happen unless there's something that they're all looking at that's captivating them. And once again, there's no electronics around. This is just they're in nature and something remarkable happens. Then we, and we have the testimony in the newspaper and the fact that everyone got dried off and the fact that people far away saw it and the fact that it was attested to after and so on and so forth. When, when exactly did they start predicting this exact date for this miracle? Do you know our when lady, that was? Yeah. Our lady said, come back on the 13th. But when did she say that? The first time. So like in uh, May. So back like, in May. Come okay. back every time. So yes, like they were, they they were told things would be happening on these dates. Sure. Okay. So so this this whole publicity that was building for six months, yeah, since May, was building in a secular country, mm -hmm. and it was the, the word was spreading that there was going to be some kind of miracle on October thirteen. They didn't know what they well they didn't know. No, they didn't know. There was going to be a miracle. Was, but they didn't know what it was going to be. And they didn't, I don't even know if the word miracle was used, but some, it was like this, something will be revealed that day. I'll prove my sort of whatever. Um, and I would add, uh, there was a high suppression of this. And each month, okay, uh, each month, um, when like another visit would happen, more people would come because they got more interested. And there would be more um, evidence of something supernatural happening each time. Okay. So it was building by that time. Okay. Yeah. So, all right, let's say I'm a Protestant and I believe in miracles mm -hmm. or I'm an, I'm an Eastern Orthodox. I believe in miracles. Sure. I even believe in apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> or I might even be a Catholic and say, okay, fine. Private revelation, but I don't have to believe in it. It's just a private revelation. 
everyone can disregard this. Purely private, no big deal. I don't have to talk. I don't have to worry about Fatima. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're not de fide. What I mean is, uh, you don't have to believe in the apparition at Fatima in order to be saved. Um, that doesn't mean, and, and but we need to be careful with that because, well, actually, for one, all the popes since then have spoken about it, either favorably or unfavorably, um, but they've never denied the supernatural character of it uh, because they can't. Because when the bishop declares, then that's a charism that the bishop is given, so they can't. But but we, it's not de fide in the sense of. You know, you have to believe in like the dogmas of the faith and the Bible and that sort of thing, because that's public revelation for all Christians of all of all time. This obviously, you know, St. Augustine, for example, was one of my favorite saints. He never prayed the rosary in the way that we know it. I don't know if he would have done something else, but he didn't pray the rosary because there was no rosary as we know it the way when he was alive. So obviously praying the rosary is not a de fide thing that you must do for all Christians of all time in order to be saved because it wasn't there, Right. So Our Lady of Fatima, the apparitions happened in 1917. So if you lived before 1917, you would have no way of knowing about these apparitions. So it's not a de fide thing. Um, but it is a it is attested to by all popes since. John Paul II uh, was big into Fatima. Um, Ratzinger has talked about it. Um, and so, and it's it's a private revelation, but it happened publicly. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of in this gray area because it's not public revelation, meaning it's not the New Testament, um, but it is a test is attested to um, it's as believable as anything that's ever happened. And everything that were in the secrets, part of them, part of the secrets been hidden. That's a whole other show. Um, but everything that was in the secrets has come to pass. And, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me just ask about the. World War II. What tell us yeah. about that World War II prediction? Yeah. So she said uh, this was. So this is. Um, what day did the October Revolution actually start? Can you look that up in, in Russia? Yeah, sure. Um, I believe it's in October. But um, Our Lady said that Russia had to be con consecrated to the Immaculate Heart by all the bishops of the world. I mean, there was an actual way that that was told to happen. Um, anyway. Um, or Russia would spread her errors. Okay. Now we're talking about communism, Russia, uh, as far as the people go, that's just a, a nation of people. So nothing defective about the Russian people. That's not what it means. And in fact, some of my friends who are Orthodox, they actually say one of the things that is a point of contention is that there's the, it seems like there's this anti-Russian sentiment, which is not, it's a big deal for them because Russian Orthodox church is so big. No, it's not about the Russian people. It's about Russian communism. And the errors that legitimately were starting. So this is 1917, the same year, the, the Russian Revolution. And uh, the errors of communism would spread throughout the world if the consecration didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And the Russian errors spread throughout the world. And Our Lady predicted that there would be, um, you know, if you pray the rosary every day, there'd be an end of the war, war that was going on, which was, uh, you know, First World War. And then under Pius XI, who wasn't Pope yet, it was predicted that there would be a Pius XI, there would be greater calamities to come. Um, and then there would be an even greater thing, nations would be annihilated, so on and so forth. And we had the Second World War, which was like hell on earth, you know. And um, and that happened as Our Lady predicted as well. But even then, we um, everyone should read uh, Antonio Sochi's book, The Fourth Secret of Fatima, because he actually... He's an amazing journalist, and he goes through all of the events uh, surrounding the apparitions of Fatima, the events after the apparitions, like what was going on with the consecration. Um, Our Lady continued to appear to Sister Lucia after. Um, so Jacinta and Francisco died very young, and she told Our Lady told them that they, they'd be taken to heaven soon. Um, but Lucia, was she lived till she was almost 100. Um, so the... Um the the central Bolshevik Central Committee they made the resolution for the armed uprising on the 10th of October, mm -hmm. but that's on the old calendar. So that actual date was the 23rd of October. So the right. date in regards to Fatima, and yeah. then November 7, 7, 1917 was the coup d'état. But this actually does what I'm writing reading does not actually distinguish if that was new or old calendar. So the, just for viewers, the, the Russian calendar at that time was following the Julian calendar. So all the calendar dates were actually 13 days behind the, 
the rest of the world's calendar day. So it's a little confusing there, but um, so, but yeah, around the same time with the, the miracle of the sun. So there's a prediction of world war two. Um, there was one comment from one of our favorite commentators on this show. Lowell, Lowell hey, Forster hey, hey, hey. says, ask true, true crime detectives about eyewitness testimony. And uh, what's that mean? It was, for example, it was a man with red hair. No, it was a woman in a black dress. No, it was an old black man, etc. Okay. So I think what is getting, uh, what's being pointed out here is that eyewitness testimony that they, I mean, this would be an example of a contradiction. I would oh, say. right. Right. Like that sort of thing. I mean, clearly, clearly these three people, three people did not see the same thing at this point. Right. Yeah. And that's not what happened with Fatima. So that's the interesting part. Um, and eyewitness testimony is, a, is an interesting thing because, uh, like, it's not that reliable. So when it all lines up, it's remarkable. So when it all lines up, this is actually uh, one of the proofs for the New Testament is it's all the same stories, but some of the details are different, which actually is what would happen if people were telling the same story from their own perspective. So if everybody had the exact same story verbatim, that would that's not, that doesn't happen because you don't that's not what you do in life. You don't, Tim and I don't, if you and I were to have an interview later, but we, we talked about this morning, we would give like 50% of the details each. Um, and we would get certain things different. You might even say Kennedy was wearing a blue shirt. Like it just might, you know, might, you might just, because you're, you know, it's a shirt that's purple, whatever, but you just might, might forget. Um, but if all the relevant details are the same, the ones of substance, that's when you go, Oh yeah, these little differences of uh, what time is it? Well, it was about two o'clock, and it's like it was actually three thirty. Anyway, that's about two o'clock, right? But the details of oh yeah, then Bigfoot actually walked into the house and picked Kennedy up and took him off the screen. It's like no one denies that, right? So it's the same thing with the miracle of Fatima. It's like okay, there might be a little bit of difference. Oh, it was it was a really hot day. Actually, it was just kind of warm. It's like okay, those are semantics. But the sun danced in the sky. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Is there a fake Lucia? Uh, I have never seen any evidence of that. That was, there's one journalist who made that f popular. Um, you kind of get into state of Acantus territory there. Um, cause a lot of the state of Acantus will say that, uh, the consecration did happen. It didn't, uh, but they'll give proof for something. Pius XII wrote a letter consecrating. He did. He wrote a letter doing that and it had some effects, but it didn't happen in the way that our lady uh, asked for it to happen. All I can say is, uh, Fatima.org actually on YouTube, Fatima center. The uh, Father Gruner, rest in peace, who was the most epic crusader of Fatima. Um, he has a series of videos called Ask Father. And John Venari, who's another amazing, um, uh, rest in peace, he was a great crusader for Fatima. They talk about, like, these questions were asked, and they have, you know, like, a 15-minute response talking about it. And they talk yeah. about fake sister Lucy. Father Gruner knows everything about it, so just look what he said. So here, Lowell clarifies further there was definitely a crime. Everyone agrees on that. So I would think, so if you have eyewitness testimony, I think what's getting pointed out here was I, I would just testimony may disagree on certain details, but they can all agree that this X, Y, Z happened. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, here's uh, another question. I, I have heard that one of the errors of Russia was Darwinian evolution. Can you speak to this? You know, it's funny. I don't know anything about evolution. Um, yes. One of the errors was that, well, okay, it says Russia will spread her errors, okay? So uh, Our Lady doesn't give us a litany of what those errors are, um, but what comes out of Russia is a widespread transmission of evolutionary theory. Why? Because Marx was an evolutionist, or at least said this is the theory that we need in order to spread evolution because it, it gave a historical framework. I've talked about that in other places. And... Um, Stalin was an avowed evolutionist, so was Lenin, so on and so forth. And uh, in China, which was a Marxist revolution there with Mao, when they would go into villages, they would actually teach the people evolutionary theory before they taught them Marxist theory. Uh, once again, because it provides the basis for uh, the communist state, which is an evolutionary model of a state. The people are treated like cattle, so on and so forth. And so, yes, that's a huge deal. And Our Lady provides... Our Lady provides, um, Our, Lady, Our Lady is the crusher of heresies. So the things that she does go against the heresy of evolution. So when she appears to, I think I spoke about this last time we spoke, um, she appears to St. Bernadette at Lourdes. 
she says, I'm the Immaculate Conception, which is a big deal because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a big deal if Our Lady was immaculately conceived, if there was have precedent for that. But we don't have precedent for that. Why? People, because Adam and Eve were created and not conceived. Okay, so they were created immaculately, but not conceived immaculately. This is why it's a big deal that Our Lady is conceived immaculately, because it's not something that can happen after original sin. And it's not something that there's precedent for. So that was another jab against the idea of evolution, because theistic evolutionists, Catholics that will think, oh, evolution is possible. It's like, well, then Adam and Eve were immaculately conceived because they were conceived without original sin. Right. Which is not a big deal. Why is such a controversy? Anyway, so on. And, so, and that happened around the same time of the publication of the origin of the species, same year. That sort of thing. So it coincides perfectly. Awesome. Well, Kennedy, any final thoughts on Fatima? It's amazing. So, um, recommended I, reading, I think it'd be good in order. Yeah. Just so for the information, just go to Fatima.org and I'm actually on the website right now. And when you sure. go to Fatima, yeah, I can, I can put, put it, it up, up here. Okay. Fatima.org. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Correct me. Where, oh, I guess. Uh, Gotta, so show me where to go here so everyone sure can see. Okay, so here we are on the on the website. Yeah. So um, a couple events there. Global the Global Compact for Education. We're doing some events about that. That's we can maybe talk about that next week or something. Uh, so if you look up at the the scrolling bar at the top, right, you have Fatima in depth message, whatever. So under both of those, there's lots of stuff. So if you go to Fatima in depth, the facts, the message, the requests, the opposed. So just go to the facts. Maybe click on that. And then here you go. You have all these links. Um, what is Fatima? A brief overview. So I would recommend um, that where it says the true story of Fatima, if you want to click on that. Yeah. Oh, great. Yep. Whole book. Yeah. It's not showing up for us, but uh, so. Um, uh, oh, it's yeah, a, what's up? Yeah, I got to switch to another. Oh, it's 100 pages. Uh, it's in Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, English. And um, there you go. And it's a whole book. I printed it off the other day. Um, you can do a double-sided two things per page. You got 30 pages. There you go. You got your book. And um, it's a completely detailed imprimatur, all that kind of stuff. It goes through everything you need to know. It's very readable. Um, man, it's those stories of, the, of those children, what they went through. It's heartwarming. And uh, it just says everything. So that's just the basics of it. And then if you want to go back to that web page, um, in a sec, you can like you can look at uh, there's there's information on everything. So what about the third secret? What about you know this and and the Fatima Center has tons of books that you can get for very inexpensive. Most of them are actually available PDF format. You can just get them if you want. You could print them. You could read them on your phone, whatever. And then a lot of them are just donation price. You know, can you give us five bucks to send it to you? And the book's free, sort of thing. Um, and there's tons of information. Okay. Um, also, a major book that I like a one-stop shop that I would recommend to just understand Fatima, understand the consecration controversy and all that sort of stuff. I would recommend reading uh, Antonio Sochi's fourth secret of Fatima. There's not four secrets, but it's a play on words because there's the three secrets, but there's a part that's still hidden. So it's kind of like the second half of the third secret. They just call it the fourth secret. And um, what's great about that book is he has tons of footnotes and he, he links or he cites everything that happened before him and puts it together in a nice package of like everything that's happened. So that's why it's a great one-stop shop to read. And that's by Loretto Publications. But I believe you can actually buy it from the Fatima Center website. Excellent. All right. So check it out, Fatima.org. So let's offer up our Father at the end of the show. Pray especially for those who may watch this show for their belief and that their hearts may be open to Jesus Christ the message of Fatima. Pray for all unbelievers that they may be converted and go to heaven. Also, I will say uh, one thing. Um, yeah. I know someone who was converted from just real secular humanistic skepticism to super devout, traditional, amazing Catholic now, like that, because of the Fatima message. Um, because it's one of those things where you look into it and it's not hard to prove and you show evidence. And people just, their minds are blown. Because once again, this is a modern miracle with photographs and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, whoa, that actually happened? Like people, they, they're, they're, if you don't know what a Marian apparition is, and then you prove that one happened, you're sitting there going, you're going, oh my. 
like a heavenly creature came to earth and that's like a real thing. <laughs> you know, like people think aliens are cool. This is actually real. <laughs> this is actually, <laughs> and it's like, holy mackerel. And, um, I've seen people converted by the message of Fatima and then they read it and they go, Oh my goodness, hell is real. I mean, like it's a really big deal. So it's a yeah. wonderful evangelization tool. Yeah. So please take this video, share it with your unbelieving family, friends, your non-Catholic family, friends, share it with them. They, the, like we tried to do here, we, the, the Fatima story can stand up to modern scientific scrutiny. Yes. So that's what we're trying to do in this show is to try to investigate it and answer objections. So sh share that, please share this video with, I mean, it's pretty easy. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. Just send them a link. It's easy. Uh, and in the meantime, just share this video just to promote this apostolate, like it, subscribe, comment. That helps us keep promoting what we're trying to do here. So in the meantime, also, Kennedy's new book is available at Our Lady of Victory Press. See the link below, as well as Terror of Demons, mm -hmm. which is the name of this morning show. So let's offer up in our Father for these intentions and for all the souls who are in most need of his mercy. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater nostri requies in Jedi Sancti Vegeto nomen tuum, adveniet regnum tuum, fiat vadontas tua, sicut in shadow attentara. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimitti nobis debita nostra, sicut et nostri mitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.